there's a reason I call this book, Andrew, good news about being black today. It is absolutely better to be black in America today than it was yesterday. And it'll be even better tomorrow. And I believe that. And that's the, the good news story that I am talking about in this book. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I feel like I've known this presence, this empowering force who I'm with right now, but I want to introduce you all to Miss Ebony K. Williams. And I always like the Miss. I don't know why. I was also going to say Ebony K. Williams Esquire, but uh, <laughs> I'll take that too, Andrew. Okay. She is the host and executive producer of the Warner Music Group podcast, Holding Court, which I absolutely love. I'm a dedicated listener. She starred on The Real Housewives of New York. I was going to say former, but there ha has been no new Real Housewives of New York. So I think it's... Well, I, I guess you could say Real Housewives of New York alum from season 13. I think that works. Okay. I like the nuance. There you go. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's the host of The Grio. And she's guest hosted on The View, which she just made an amazing appearance on. She has a true crime series that I have to do more work and listen and watch. It's on the Own and Investigation Discovery Networks. She's an attorney. She's a frequent public speaker on Black culture and history. She lives and she owns property in yeah. Harlem. And I am here to talk all things about her new book, Bet on Black, the good news about being black in America today. Hello, Miss Ebony. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. That was a fit. Like, I need to take you on the road with me. What an intro. Right. Great. I'll be your, you know, warm up act. There you exactly. Go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, my first question, you've been on an amazing press journey from The View to watch what happens live to mm. The Breakfast Club multiple yeah. days yeah. Uh, to touring, I think to the South to see some of your sorority sisters. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling? How are you checking in right now? Yeah, you know, it's it's off to a, a, a rabid start. Yeah, you know, this has been a fantastic effort by a great team. I just have to give some respect and some gratitude to my fantastic team at Legacy Lit, uh, which is a, a fantastic imprint in the Hachette publishing family. Uh, my publisher, Krishan Trotman, Tara Kennedy, he's running PR on this thing. They've been outstanding. Um, you know, and, and what was important to me, Andrew, around the press for this particular book, especially as we launch in Black History Month, was to give us just as much variety as possible. So that's why you see uh, in the very same day, you know, three hours with Charlemagne and Envy on The Breakfast Club, get in a car and chatting it up with Whoopi and Joy uh, at the table at The View, you know, so I really wanted that range. I really wanted the variety of opportunities uh, to, to talk about this book. Uh, very spicy episode of Watch What Happens Live, which, you know, of course, really centered rightfully uh, the Potomac finale, but there was still opportunity to talk about my new judge show and the book. So it, it's been great. So I feel that this really will launch us right into, I mean, I've been riveted. I listened to Ebony Reed, mm. uh, Bet on Black, which is so powerful. It's... um. There's a presence in your voice about you say, choose your own damn divine self. Yeah. Or it might be choose your own damn self, but I added the divine. I like that. <laughs> and 
you know, you're writing for a Black audience, but I also feel that there's an allyship built in there. And I think with your media appearances, say from The View to yeah. watch what happens live to The Breakfast Club, they're also very different hosts and they're different mm -hmm. race races, different genders, um, genders exactly. Gender so identities, sexual yeah. orientations, everything. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's even more than allyship, Andrew. I am writing this book for a Black audience. That's very apparent in the writing. And also the anecdotes in the book speak to uh, that fantastic, beautiful, 6'2", blonde, blue-eyed, queer flight attendant that I, I engaged with on my uh, flight. It, and he broke down into tears telling me how my presence on Real Housewives of New York, unapologetically centering Blackness, gave him permission as a white man who is queer to come out to his family. Right. So I, I think it's more than just allyship to blackness. I think it's an invitation to any and all people that find themselves feeling subordinate or marginalized or other than or ask to kind of eat it or center something else, something that's not them, whether it's heterosexuality, whether it's Jewish identity, Muslim identity, Christian, whatever it, you know, women constantly feeling the need to be uh accommodating the male gaze i really am writing to all of that in the context of my choice as a black woman in america to center blackness by me choosing to center my identities i, I am inviting those beyond that audience to center theirs no thank you for that ebony because I'm a gay white man. I've, Ebony knows I have like a complicated Jewish ancestry, but all of that very, aside. It's all very fabulous. Yeah. Well, I would have really wanted to be at your uh, Shabbat dinner, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll get into, we're going to get into Roni later. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, feel that um, what you're saying, people even reached out to me. There was um, a man named Michael where you did a cameo for him and he also expressed the same feeling that he felt seen to be openly gay. And this is just a testament to your authenticity. So I want to thank you for laying all your cards on the table. And thank you. My dear. I, well, I think that's what we owe the, the audience. I, I really do. And that's why I get annoyed and pissed when I see people on these platforms of reality TV, you know, to me just caricature and spectacle and I get it it's like whatever silliness and fun but like shit like this is a platform that can change lives and I guess I take that um very literally and very seriously yeah well you like I've said to you before Ebony you are not new to the media landscape no. you've had how many years of a career in starting with your radio days? Right. So just about I'm on year 11 or 12 and in, in the broadcast space. And that's after seven years of practicing law. So, you know, I've been you know, I started early. I will say um, I went to college at 16 and it's kind of been off to the races ever since. So, yeah, well, you know, as someone who's about to defend his dissertation in the summer. Woo! Well, thank you. <laughs> now I have to do it, Ebony, because you're here. Uh, you're you holding do. me accountable. Auntie E's going to push you, Andrew. You better get that doctorate. Yeah. Yeah, push me. Okay. But that importance of education is something that comes up right even in your intro is this yeah. aspect of 
how education for you was a way to really claim your space and your agency. And I'd love for you to explain really what you mean Absolutely. by that. Yeah, for me, it was such a point of liberation. You know, I reference uh, the ancestors and their modeling of what that looks like going all the way to Frederick Douglass, who just so geniusly, right? Just such a smart, savvy uh, man uh, born into chattel slavery in America in the uh, early 1800s who ends up uh, ends up learning how to read in an era where it is literally against the law, legally forbidden, punishable by death in some places for Black enslaved people to read. And Douglas learns to read by tricking his uh, white playmate, who happens to be the son of, of his slave master, by saying like, oh, I bet you can't spell cat. And then the little white boy's like, oh, it's C-A-T. And Douglas goes, noted. <laughs> Now I know how to spell, spell cat. It's just so ingenious. And that becomes Douglas's pathway to becoming what would be one of the greatest American orators and speakers and patriots and really politicians of our time. And it all just comes through virtue of education. So for me, education is not about the degree. It's not about the paper on the wall. It's not about thinking you're better than somebody else. It's about tethering it to my liberal, my freedom, Andrew, is tethered to my education. You can't gaslight me about being black. You can't gaslight me about being a woman. You can't uh, confuse me around my, my individual innate value as to who I am in this world because I'm informed both academically and through lived experience. So I, I know who I am. When I say I know who I am, baby, I know who I am. Okay, so does everyone know that when I'm not a podcaster, I'm actually writing academic scholarship, teaching in the university, and just doing all my queer male scholarly inquiries and analyses. So I am so excited to be talking about one of my favorite academic publishers, Broadview Press. They are an independent academic publisher they publish in the humanities. Um, they produce high quality, pedagogically useful books for university and college classrooms. But as you'll soon learn, they also publish for literary enthusiasts and literature lovers. So they're always publishing with an eye towards diversity. There's so many titles from female authors, from writers of color and for example, in the fall, we had on Ann Stevens on our podcast. So listen to that episode where she talked all about literary theory and criticism. And as you'll hear, she explains why literary theory is not, imp not important only to university scholars and to students of literature, but also to those arts and culture lovers out there, which all of you are a part of that community. So she discusses why watching Bridgerton actually requires a certain literary theory. And then we play a Wizard of Oz game where she analyzes the Wizard of Oz from all of these different schools of thought, including psychoanalysis, Marxism, feminist theory, queer theory. So what I love is that Broadview is offering 20% off with the code Ivory Tower. So head on over to their website and you will get 20% off with the code Ivory Tower. And 
If you haven't listened to our most recent episode with Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote Pop Culture for Beginners, yes, the first ever university analysis of pop culture, which is really resonating with me since you all know I'm a huge Real Housewives fan. But also he wrote The Mad Scientist Guide to Composition. So I know so many of you out there teach composition or need more writing tips. Jeffrey Weinstock just came on the podcast. Listen to our interview with him. And again, 20% off all Broadview Press texts. Use the code Ivory Tower. Head over to their website. The link is in our episode notes. Enjoy your reading. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Amen. Uh but also, and he's the most photographed, Ebony, I know you've brought that. Yes. Uh, Frederick Douglass is the most photographed in the 19th century. And yeah, of I mean, any race, kind of, of, of any race. race. And that's so, you know, people want to know why Roni, right? Or why reality TV? It's the power of optics. You know, mm-hmm. there's only so many people you can reach staying in a news space or staying in a talk radio space or staying in all of the places that people want to limit my, um, visibility and my presence. But Douglas, as I refer to him, he's my greatest and first teacher of the power of optics. There's a reason Douglas made sure that he was photographed more even than Abe Lincoln, okay? Because he wanted his nation, his fellow countrymen to see this beautiful, distinguished, he never smiled because it wasn't shit funny at that time for him. You know, this, this beautiful human being that his nation had the audacity to enslave. And it was so powerful. Yeah. Well, I publish in 19th century literature. So, oh, you know, amazing. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Harriet Jacobs. Her narrative is fascinating. Come on now. Yes. I, I work a lot on queering Whitman and Oscar Wilde. So, you know, um, this familiar. is speaking to, yeah, I'm yeah, familiar yeah, in this yeah. territory. But yeah. something that comes through is you have such an interdisciplinary is our buzzword, but way with your education where I find it fascinating that you went into black studies, which itself, right? You're learning history, culture, literature. Um, So it's all different departments of study, Mm -hmm. but then you go into law school and I'm wondering how did that transition happen in your mind? So I knew going into my undergraduate studies, Andrew, at Chapel Hill at the tender age of 16, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I speak about it in the book, Bet on Black, how for me being a lawyer was, yes, voice for the voiceless, advocating all those good um, kind of, um, you know, uh, heartfelt reasons that you'd want to be a lawyer. But it was also always pragmatic for me. It was always knowing that as a little black girl born to a single mother with no formal education of her own in the deep American South. Remember, I was I might have grown up in North Carolina. I was born in Louisiana. Okay, I was born to a mother who is only 62 now and went to segregated schools until she was in high school. 
So, you know, just understand. And my name is Ebony Kiana Williams. Like that is a black ass name. Okay. So knowing the kind of projections that my nation would have for me and the expectations of mediocrity and even subordination that I was introduced to this world in, I knew I had to be very particular with the route of education and really professional pursuit I would travel into. So it was, for me, it was, it was, it was being a lawyer. You know, that's one of those things, you know, to this day, you can't take away my law degree. You can't take away my license to practice law. Although there was that page six, you know, attempt, which we'll get to, to try to discredit me, honey, you can never discredit a credible woman. And that's what I am. And so that's really what the, the law pursuit was about for me too. It was saying before I open my mouth, I am Ebony K. Williams Esquire credentialed. The state of North Carolina says as much. And now what else is going on? As Cynthia Bailey would say. I love it. Um, so your mother, you just brought her up. I feel mm -hmm. that we have to talk about Gloria. We have to talk about your <laughs> aunt Katie. They yeah. are right in the beginning of bet on black, uh, yes. that you detail a childhood that I think many are going to, like you said, representation matters. The optics matter. They've seen you now on a larger platform. Um, wouldn't know about where Ebony K. Williams begins her journey. And I feel that that sisterhood or community building, I should say. Yes, yes. With your aunt, with your mother is so foundational. So, you know, why is it so important for you to reflect back to yeah. what they instilled in you? Well, I think it's really easy, especially for those of us that are privileged and blessed to have these big platforms, you know, housewives or, you know, the view or whatever it is, right? Um, Charlemagne, you know, to, to you see us now and you see something that looks relatively successful, maybe wealthy, big, important, not particularly accessible. Mm -hmm. And my work can't be effective, Andrew, if I'm not wholly accessible to the people that I want to connect with that's the, the work of my life, right? So I have to go back. I've got to start from the place of this vulnerable, scared, quite frankly, um, little girl who is really wanting to please her mother, wanting to achieve her way into love and acceptance and approval, starting within my own home and then for the world to see, hence the pageants, hence the academically gifted classes, hence the, you know, fudging my report card, at, you know, to turn the B into the A because I don't want to deal with Gloria's wrath because it's coming, you know, and all of that. So I've got to tell those stories. I got to talk about what it's like to be bused across town in Charlotte, North Carolina, going from our publicly subsidized housing, which was fine, but, you know, certainly some level of poverty there um, to the other side of town where I went to this amazing elementary school where, you know, the houses are starting at $2.5 million back in the 80s. So, you know, so there was something around the optics of seeing how people live, seeing what's possible in the wealthiest country in the world, in, you know, the play, the, this is the land of opportunity. I believe that, you know, I have a whole chapter in Bet on Black about being uh, a Black patriot and embracing Americana as our land as well. And, and I've got to start at the beginning of that story with the Gloria and my grandma Katie and they, and they are, and, and contrast their experiences as black women, grandma born in 34, 
mom born in 60, me born in 83. There's a reason I call this book, Andrew, good news about being black today. It is absolutely better to be black in America today than it was yesterday. And it'll be even better tomorrow. And I believe that. And that's the the good news story that I am talking about in this book. Yeah. Well, and was Gloria and Katie, they were both born in the South? They were both born in Southeast Louisiana. Yeah. So my grandma, Katie, was born in 34 to um, sharecroppers. You know, her father was a sharecropper. Her mother was a stay-at-home mother. And her father also was a preacher. My mother was born in 60 in that same small town, Amit, Louisiana. It's about an hour outside of Baton Rouge, uh, which is the capital of Louisiana. Um, And my grandfather had a fourth grade education, but, you know, was a hustler. You know, he was a barber. He worked in a feed mill. I talk about that in the book. And so then my mother, you know, just becomes this brilliant entrepreneur, you know, doesn't have the resources to finish her formal education in college. She starts, but, but, but leaves to raise me and provide a a different life for herself. And she really taught me and and ingrained in me ownership, entrepreneurship. She says, Ebony, no one's going to pay you what you're going to pay you, which is why when I went to launch Holden Court, I was no longer going to be talent for hire. I'm done with that part of my career. I'm totally done with it. If I don't executive produce it, if I don't have ownership rights in the intellectual property, you can actually miss me with it. Yeah, well, and you actually say, you talk a lot about that experience of starting Holding Court. And I listened to your most recent episode. And as this premieres, our interview, um, I think it's your most recent episode. It was where you discuss about... um, uh, Ron talk about the podcast, the podcast clause. Uh, yes, you talk about the yes. podcast clause. Uh, yeah. with Robin Dixon. Yeah, I texted Andy that after the episode, and yeah, so very no, very wise words about. Oh, I love it. You say because this is now going to be my mantra, Ebony. Thank you for this. I'm going. I'm writing it down everywhere. You say if it's not prohibited, then it's permitted. And I'm thinking, well, yes, if the rules and the policies, policies and regulations aren't there, then it's permitted. It's permitted. It's permissible. Permissible until prohibited. That's it. And and I get, you know, Andy's frustration. We had a very frank conversation afterwards because I think his he was surprised. Like some people were surprised by my answer on Watch What Happens Live, you know, because I think that the expectation or the narrative goes, well, if you're in a reality show, you've got to say everything on the show. Well, what, show me that in the fine print. We 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 close every episode of Holding Court, Andrew, as you know, with Dustin Ross saying, "Read your terms and conditions." Mm-hmm. So if my talent deal, and this goes for for Bravo, this goes for Carlos King's shows, this goes for The View, this goes for all of these entities that hire folks as talent. If you have not narrowly construed where their supplemental content content can go or not go. That's on you. You've got you've got to update your, you know, biz, you better call business affairs. <laughs> well, and this entrepreneurial spirit that your family has, they taught you, you saw, you know, the barbershop business happening with your family, that your podcast was so liberatory, um, rarely resonates with me because that's how, even though I'm in a university, I really didn't feel seen with my openly gay work and taking certain chances where now I get to talk to, you know, guests like you, Ebony, and really bring that scholarly analysis to different arenas 
But again, I got nervous. I think it's an instinctual feeling of, oh, I'm so out there now. I'm doing something against the grain. How am mm -hmm. I going to be perceived? Is someone, is there going to be backlash? Is someone going to uh, try to stop me? Like, how do you yeah. um, combat that energy or listen to that voice, but then proceed on? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? If so, the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the articles published in the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, Visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org and scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have any questions, email stephen.hemrick at glreview.org. The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. And remember that they're offering an exclusive code with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So when you subscribe to the magazine, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. So that's seven issues instead of six. Again, just visit the glreview.org and click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR for your free issue. The answer to everything you just asked is yes. Yes, people are going to try to stop you. Yes, people are going to critique it. Yes, people are going to feel a way about it and express that in the comments section. And Auntie E says, do it anyway. Do it anyway. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is an exclusive. It's not in the book. Um, but I think it's, again, so important to be really transparent. Today, Holding Court is an NAACP Image Award nominated show for Best News and Information Podcast. I'm nominated alongside Trevor Noah. Dustin and I are flying out to LA. We're going to kill that red carpet like we always do. This is all great. The show, Warner uh, Music acquired the distribution rights. I retain the ownership rights of the property, but they are now my distributing partner. This is coming off of a successful first year run with iHeart and Charlotte. The point is, the podcast is a bona fide hit. Well, you know what? When I wanted to, to first incubate Holding Court, Andrew, and you should know this, especially because of what you do. I, it started with the one sheet, like all good ideas. And I shopped it and I shopped it. And 
Spotify had some interest. We piloted the show and ultimately Spotify passed on holding court. And I was told that nobody, especially not a black audience, would ever listen to a legal podcast. Oh yeah, I was told I was great. I was told I was talented for sure. I was even told that the episodes we presented to Spotify were great content. And yet there was no belief. There was no willing to bet on black. Mm -hmm. There was no willingness to even see what that kind of show could do in the landscape. Um, and I, I had a choice, right? So Spotify, which is like the big pooba, especially at that time, you have to remember, this was like when they had acquired the Obama podcast, they had acquired Meghan Markle and Harry, like there was nothing bigger in podcasting at that time than Spotify exclusives, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when Spotify basically says, thanks, but no thanks, I could have packed up my belongings and went home and said, well, th th they say it's not a show, so net. I said, can you curse on this show? Oh, yeah, you can curse. Yeah. Oh, I said, fuck them. Fuck them. The fuck the Spotify now? You know, respectfully, they distribute the show now. Thanks, Spotify. But, um, you know, they, they were not going to in any way undermine what I knew in my spirit, Andrew, was not only a good show, but a show that my people and the people need. You know, I am, I, of all the things I've done, housewives, um, the news, the view, I, I love it all, the true crime. Da, da, da. Nothing gives me more joy than to talk to people like you that on a weekly basis get laughs, get info, and get seen and felt and heard through the work that we do, Dustin Ross and myself do on Holding Court every week. It is the crown jewel of my media empire. And now it shares space with this book, Bet on Black, because those are the two things I am most proud to have contributed to this world. Yeah, well, I'm so thankful that you told Spotify, fuck it, I'll, <laughs> I'll just continue and I'm going to find my path because it's a creative intuition, right? It's a yes. gut feeling. And like, I've started listening more to that voice within me of, oh, okay, it's not happening right now, but keep listening to that passion, you know, but it's tough when... The doors are it's closing. Tough. It's, it's it's tough, especially when, you know, the higher you ascend, the the louder the no is, right? So I wrote, I wrote about this in my first book, Pretty Powerful, Apparent Substance and Success. I say, I don't care about a million no's. I only need one yes. And that's true of anything. I had a girlfriend who was, you know, laid off in the in the Facebook meta slaughter recently, which so many, you know, let go 11,000 people. Uh, TikTok's doing the same. All these, you know, people are laid, Amazon. Everybody's getting laid off and fired left and right. It's horrible. Keep your head up. Hang around the hoop. Who gives a shit about them saying no? And who cares about the 30 other interviews you're going to go on this month that say no? You need one yes. One yes can change your life. I have seen it. Yep. And then you talk a lot about a black network. And I think I definitely need to. You've just landed us right there, which is when that door does open, you get that. Yes. Then you start to build this community spirit. And I mean, you even mentioned Charlemagne the God. You've mentioned, um, you know, how there's a dynamic network now behind you of a community. Um, Absolutely. Right. So is that. I'm sure you look and you reflect on, wow, I have 
that you're also doing that for others. Like you're offering advice and you have mentees that you're now training. Absolutely have to, because no, none of us, and this is universal. None of us get to where we are in isolation. That's just a myth. That's a lie. And for those that try to go it alone, you know, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. I'm trying to, my mother gets so frustrated with me. I'm going to tell you, Ms. Gloria is so pissed that I am not already at the Oprah level of billionaire status and world dominance because her baby's so smart and her baby's so pretty. Her baby works so hard. Mother, I'm not trying to go fast. I'm trying to go far. And it's okay. You know, a lot of people, every time they see me on The View, it's like, oh my God, you killed it. Like, how is how are you not there? Baby. In its time, everything in its time. I don't want to rush shit. Housewives, guy, I love the housewives audience, and uh, even those that don't love me back, that's cool too. But lots of people, especially coming off the heels of this Watch What Happens Live, are like, "Oh my God! Like, I wish we had seen more of you. You're you're actually amazing energy." And and you know anybody that can throw shade at Nene Leakes and Ron DeSantis in the same day it needs to be a housewife, right? Um, and I love that, and I, I receive that humbly. Um, so then the attitude is like, "Well, why? You know, we want you on the rebeat. We want you on the rebeat." In its time, promise you, Auntie E is never not working. <laughs> I am always building content, creating spaces to represent what I represent in this world. And that is not going to stop just because Roni OG went away or Roni Legacy may or may not come back or I may or may not be on this first season of the reboot. Baby, it's all coming in its time. Yeah, well... And even talking with you right now, I feel it happened when it had to happen with Bet on Black, with your experiences, with my experiences that, you know, you need that perspective. And like the questions I'm asking you now wouldn't have been the questions if you had said, oh, yeah, let me talk about what just happened after, uh, Roni collapsed in some kind of purgatory. No, remember, we've been communicating and I kept saying it. What it, it, there's going to be a time where we're going to talk and it's going to mean something. And that's why we're talking now and not, like you said, not in, in the space of tabloid fodder. Like, I, child, anybody got time for that? You know, mm-hmm. that again, I'm not even making money off that. I want to put some money in your pocket. You know, you've in 30 minutes of this interview, you've learned things about the Spotify pass. You've, you know, things that, People don't even know, and that's going to give this conversation in this moment everlasting currency. Now it has a different value. Yep. Well, and this is what is coming through with everyone listening or watching. Our members get to watch the video. Plug there. Uh, But you always break... I know break the fourth wall is such a media term in... I mean, usually fictional, but reality TV now has it. But I think it's our everyday lives. Not everyone always breaks away from this perfection model or how they're communicating. But you are always game and always ready to, whether it's even about, you know, the Black community intersection with um, other marginalized groups that you go there. Like, because you know... I just listened to Holding Court. I loved what you said about, well, what's happening with um, the 
uh, college. What is the Black History? Oh, oh, uh, Ron DeSantis, the AP classes of Black Studies. AP classes of Black Studies. And that yeah. you even got some uh, pushback about just trying to maybe target, oh, it's because of queer theory. And I mean, I study queer theory and it's like, in a way, not the same as critical race theory. I would never say that. Kimberly Crenshaw, intersectionality, you know, uh, she also- well, it's own discipline. We got has it. its own discipline from law school, uh, I think from Harvard. But um, in a way, queer theory, I would say, operates in the same where it is so nuanced. There's so much tentacles to it that um, how people even think of queer. I mean, yes. I get pushed back too when I say um, I do queer work. But, you know, I listen to that, but I also then- recognize that doing queer work is representing such a large umbrella of the community. And I just mm -hmm. want to thank you that you've really shown the way that marginalized groups, there's an intersection between activism and representation that, you know, was that something you had always um, thought about those intersected aspects or is that something you started to do more research and work to look into I, those no things? one's ever asked me about this since so i'm so i'm appreciative for the opportunity to talk about it. let me tell you my first teacher of of the cautionary tale of what can happen when intersectionality goes wrong what happens when people don't do the work of actively intersecting humanitarian interests my first teacher in this was to me the epic failure of feminism as a totality movement, uh, particularly, it starts in the 1920s, uh, and then and it really, to me, comes to a head in the 1970s, uh, where you see feminism as a movement, which was primarily very white, very, very white, uh, from Susan B. Anthony all the way up to Gloria uh, Steinem. And there was always Black women at the table. There were even Black men at the table of feminism. Frederick Douglass is a feminist. You know, let's be very clear. He literally would, would speak at women. So anyways, Blackness has always been very palpable in the space of feminism. And yet we were always aggressively pushed out. I'll give you an example. You know, I'm a very proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Um, there's also the Black wonderful sorority of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Well, both of those sororities, Andrew, back in 1913, one of the original women's suffrage marches in America, you know, marching for the women's right to vote in America, there was this huge thing, huge parade. That's where the suffrage suffragette white comes from and all of that. Well, AKA and Delta were told, basically, we don't want you black bitches here. Mm-mm. No, this is this is for we're fighting for women and we're fighting for our rights and y'all's black asses are just going to slow down our process, you know, so we need to get in the door first and then maybe we'll help you once we get there was essentially the conversation um, that was negotiated, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, they let the black sororities be in the very, very back. Disgusting. Doesn't get much better by the 1960s and 70s when the Shirley Chisholm ran as the first woman of any color to run on a major ticket nomination platform when she ran for the democratic ticket of the United States presidency in 1972. Gloria Steinem and them and all the Ms. and the, all the, all the we, girl, we got you. But when it came time to, to cast those delegates, they were nowhere to be seen. They said, 
surely it's not the time. We we fear the impact on broader feminism, which centers whiteness and white women. If white women can't get there first, I'm sorry, sis, we don't have the capacity, space, nor time to assist with helping bring black women along with us. Black women and your movement will slow us down. So that to me is the cautionary tale, Andrew, of what happens when we don't lean into the obvious moral obligation. For me, this is a moral obligation. Make no mistake about it. This is not politics. That's why I get so pissed when people make my rony season about politics. It was never about politics. This is about humanitarianism and it's about a moral obligation to do better by one another as Americans and as, and as humans. Um, so my lesson there is we have to do two things at the same time. I will, that's why I had to address on holding court, as you mentioned, uh, I will not participate in an effort to further oppress queer people, including queer black people, by subscribing to an asinine argument that says, oh, we wanna embrace black studies, but we're, we're only eradicating this coursework of black AP because it has queer theory in it. Get the fuck out of here. I don't wanna hear you taught trying to teach me about black studies and you're not centering James Baldwin. You're not centering Barbara Jordan. If you're not centering Langston Hughes, if you're not talking about and highlighting the incredible work of the civil rights icon, no, not Dr. King, I'm talking about Bayard Rustin, then, then I don't want it. I will reject it whole cart. And if more people had that attitude of a full rejection if it's not fully inclusive, then we should reject it. And we should, we should, we should stand our ground and we should negotiate more firmly. And we have to demand the conceding of power if we really want it. Yes. Well, you've just led into the Roni of it all without you even knowing, because this is actually where Ebony, I first reached out to her because your season was premiering. I forget the ending of the season premiered, was it summer 2021? It was summer, yeah, because we premiered in May of 21. We shot September through February of 21. And then we premiered in May of 21 and we wrapped like July. Okay, so I was teaching in fall 21. Shout out to that class. It was a questioning democracy and Walt Whitman. And it was about Whitman's own racist statements and not that he could be really queerly radical, but that doesn't mean he also couldn't have racist views. That totally, totally. these are not um, exclusive. Um, At all. So I was teaching Nella Larson's passing. Oh yes, great. For the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, I was teaching um, James Baldwin's Another Country um, and The Great Gatsby, all to look at these nuanced identities and the absence of blackness in the great Gatsby or, you know, that that's as important to investigate. So I actually used your Harlem dinner, your Harlem night episode as a way to look about passing, especially about your own identity and what did it mean when you centered blackness with the Harlem figures mm -hmm. and how the cast responded. And, you know, we don't have to re, re uh, Go over and regurgitate everything. Me. Yeah. Because it's in your book. It's in Bed on Black. It is, it is in I, the book. It yeah, is in the book. I, I do want to, there was a lot of defensiveness. I'll put it that way when all you're doing is just 
teaching history, teaching literary history. And something I've always wanted to know, Ebony, is you don't have to mention any cast member, but did once the cameras went down, because this is where I go with reality TV, like cameras yeah. are up. I'm sure yeah. energy's moving and you're really just going from one thing to the other and it becomes a blur maybe with the process. But when the cameras went down, did any cast member actually have a really heart to heart nuanced conversation with you? Like, wow, I didn't know about uh, Langston Hughes like this, or I'm so glad Ebony, you shared this platform and history with us. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So... Go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It, and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. -E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, -E, and order today. So what's interesting about that is after cameras went down, I got text messages that same night from Ramona, although she left early, or maybe Ramona texted me the next morning, uh, but just saying that she had a lovely time um, and she really appreciated, she actually said, I specifically appreciated being gifted. Um, I think she got the Duke Ellington candle as the tastemaker of the group because I intentionally um, assigned each cast member a specific figure based off of what I had seen of their personalities at that point. My I, I, All that effort was, it was not to lecture, it actually wasn't to preach, and it wasn't even to indict or condemn these women for what they did not know. And trust me, they didn't know. <laughs> that night was an invitation. That night was a benevolent invitation to see yourself within my community um, for us to connect deeper as friends, as new friends, you know, and I was really excited to share something that I get very proud and excited about, which is the amazingness and the celebration of blackness in America, specifically in New York City. And that night, you know, they might have said what they said. I was actually kind of surprised when the episodes aired and I saw, you know, all of this angst and anxiety the next day and stuff. Sonia Morgan also texted me the same night. Sonia intentionally opted not to drink that night. She had on her glasses. And if you know Sonia Morgan, when she puts on those glasses, she's, she means serious business, you know, with her bouffant. Mm -hmm. And Sonia said she had the best time ever, you know. So, and I, I actually know Sonia's to be authentic. I don't know about the other. 
But I know that to be true of Sonia because even after we wrapped, even after the show collapsed, even after all that bullshit, Sonia would still text me saying that she had just realized that down the street from her infamous townhouse, Josephine Baker owned one of the neighboring brownstones. And she sent me the, the link, you know, so she was bought in to these opportunities, again, to connect femininity, feminine power, Black women, white women, all the things. Um, and I will tell you all three of them, I never went to Leah's place after we filmed, but Sonia, Lou, and Ramona's places all had the Harlem Candle Company candles that I gifted them with on display and lit. So at least they love the candles. <laughs> there you go. Well, and I know you've talked about Sonia and there's a relationship yes. that... There's that authenticity. And I mean, um, and it's still in place. I was just texting with Sonia three days ago. She was uh, going to try to make my book event here in New York, but she's still in Virginia with her family. But Sonia and I are like legitimately, I would have never met her, but for Roni, And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. Shout out to Sonia. Uh, yes. Well, and I will say, I love that moment where she says, we need to listen to Ebony, that it's about just listening just That's holding it. that space for Ebony, like hold the space for the person who is offering their history that you're not aware of. And just got here and is 20 something years younger than us. And it's not her fault that we couldn't, you know, that the network and casting didn't, you know, cast an existing member. I mean, they had such limited black women to choose from, from their authentic friend groups. There were a couple here or there. They didn't make the cut for whatever reason. So they cast a newbie. They cast someone outside of our world. Let's give it a shot. To me, the fact that there hasn't been Roni on air for almost two and a half years now, it's it's a collective failure. Um, it's a collective failure. It could have gone a very different way. Um, I think that the that playing hardball shit that, you know, we won't film with her or, you know, it's her. I think that bullshit never works when you're dealing with an entity as big as NBC Universal. Uh, I don't care who it was. It could have been me. It could have been, you know, Boo Boo the Fool. It, that, that, they're just not going to respond to that. And I think, unfortunately, that's what you're seeing with the legacy iteration. You know, I, I just I almost wish that these ladies would have just given an opportunity to really get to know. I really could have been great counsel to them because they are just navigating and negotiating and overplaying their hand um, in a way that's not giving them what they want, you know? And that part's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, well, and before I sat down with you, I actually watched the final episode again. And there's a lot of peace. There's like, you're playing a doppelganger game. You all are oh, making fun of each other and then learning. And then we're there's actually yeah. Dubin. We're, yeah. we're having a good time. And it, pasties. It, and, yeah, we ended in a great place. I mean, I think that's, you know, the saddest part yeah. is that if you watch the last episodes two to three, it's like, shit, the, here's the tragedy is it took all of season 13. So what are you talking about? 15 episodes, you know, and basically in real time and we were real filming. It took four months for us to all collectively get past the bullshit and for them to realize I'm not the one. I'm not going to be your fucking sidekick. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and play small. I'm not going to censor you because you're an OG, bitch. I don't give a fuck, okay? And once we finally got past all of that and they're like, all right, there's enough commonality here. There's enough funness here. And that goes for me too. You know, I didn't know them either. I had some guardedness. And by the time we got past all that and we got to let our hair down and let our titties out and have a good time, it was all love. 
And then the episode started airing. And then I did what I do as a professional communicator and journalist. And that's, I gave feedback and interviews about how I felt during those previously recorded episodes. And my castmates, Ramona and Luann in particular, felt very threatened, very undermined because they felt I was challenging them and their views on race and culture in public. And I was. And that's the life that I, that's my life's work. And the network knew it. And if you guys had simply Googled, you would have known it too. So I think, you know, again, it, it, we got to this great place. It took us a really long time to get there. I actually think, Andrew, if we had just kept filming like a lot of shows do, um, and we had already been, you know, a, a, a month or two into filming by the time the episodes aired, I think that maybe that could have made a difference. Um, but also, you know, we don't look back in this industry. Everything happened uh, for some reason. And, you know, it's all moving forward for me. Yeah. Well, and also there is like an interesting extra episode. I'm not sure. No one really talks about it that much, but there's like the extra footage that usually never happens now in the current iteration of Housewives. And I'm assuming that's because there was no reunion yeah. or. Yeah. So they were like, here's our extra bonus. But I also feel like the reunion and like you're saying, Ebony, if you were filming the next season during the reunion, that would have been it would have been received differently when you were giving press appearances. But not to say anything, Ebony, but what you're saying about your experience, uh, the series is already premiering to the broad global public. So, you know, how is you going on talking about your experience any different than how everyone's responding? I think they just weren't used to it. I think I, I think it was, you know, I, I don't think Tinsley did it. I don't think Leah did it. You know, I think, and this is, this is the race aside, right? This is a dynamic where you've got OGs, you know, who have a serious kind of possessiveness around this show being their show and their platform and the sporadic newbies, you know, from 10, and really it's just Tinsley and Leah. And then like the one season people like Jules and stuff, right? Um, we are supposed to come in, don't touch anything, know your place, be a sidekick. By the way, I don't think the sidekick regulation was because I was black. I think that's what they do with all new housewives. Let's be very clear. Um, I just, because I'm a black woman in America, I'm never going to let nobody, not even another black woman, turn me into a sidekick. So I think, again, you talk about nuance and, and my castmates just didn't have the capacity to understand the various elements at play from race to age to class to education level and to kind of, what's the word? I want to say almost kind of pedigree in television. So I might be new to reality TV. And so thus you think that you can haze me or regulate me to this subsidiary sidekick role. Bitch, I've been doing national television for over 10 years. Get out of my face. Yeah, yeah. And that's, well, that, that's something they were not at all prepared for. Yeah, and I feel like if you were on a cast where there was professor or others in the media space, like who are in your- or even you know, doctors. Like I'm still, I was texting yes. with Tiffany Moon yesterday. Like there's, that's why, you know, listen, not for nothing. I'll probably have this conversation with Andy at some point. Where is just even a girl show? You know, cause honestly now in my life, you know, filming a full-time Real Housewives, that, that, that maybe doesn't work for my schedule, but let's do a week or two. Myself, Tiff Moon, 
Crystal Kong Minkoff, Claudia Jordan, uh, get some some OG energies from back in the day, you know, and let's just go have some fucking fun and look pretty and get wasted and um, break the fourth wall and talk about all the ridiculousness from our various seasons and episodes. Um, you know, I think that would be compelling, entertaining television and would also move the genre forward. You know, I think I think generally speaking, people are tired of what feels like self-produced, overproduced antics across the, the franchises. So I think this would give it some fresh energy. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking all about this. Also, I'm not going to have Ebony reflect on this now because she's done it on Holding Court. So go to Holding Court to see her response to Ramona. And yes. Ramona's Carlos King appearance all during yes. BravoCon, which I don't yeah. think is a coincidence uh, mm -hmm. that she can during BravoCon to Carlos. But, you know, um, you have such a really powerful response to Ramona. So I don't want you to have to bring it up here. But thank you, you know, Ebony, to talk about that experience with Roni, because I love what you're saying about this girl's trip. I Hope that happens. Let's manifest that. Um, and, you know, I really do want to, before we play a game that I told Ebony about, <laughs> um, you know, for all of those who, you know, haven't yet got their hands or their ears tuned into Bet on Black, there is this moment that you really reflect on an absence, if there's an absence of blackness. And I think this speaks yeah. directly to a lot of your Fox News, when you were sure. in Fox News, when you were in Roni, a lot of your career. And it doesn't even have to be that there's an absence of black people, but this reluctance to talk openly about blackness. You know, mm -hmm. what would you say to everyone out there about that power of needing to center blackness in especially these media spaces that you've occupied? As a Long Islander, I was so excited when I finally found a med spa that totally matched everything I wanted. I was looking for a good facial place, a good place that had skin products. And guess what? In my hometown now of Port Jeff Village, there is Skin Med Spa. And I'm here with the owner, Lauren, who's going to explain to you all what kinds of services are offered, products that are offered, and you know why you should come to Skin Med Spa if you're in the Long Island or New York City area. Well, we wanted to open up a place that was offering all holistic natural treatments that were really providing results driven, um, where someone could come in, maybe struggling with acne and has tried so many different products and they couldn't find what was right for them. So we customize all treatments to really help you dive into your skincare goals, whether it's anti-aging rejuvenation, like I said, acne, just to help with cellular turnover, focus on building healthy skin. Um, we have two locations. We have Skin Med Spa and Body right here in Port Jeff Village. And again, we focus on all natural plant-based skincare. We'll help you design a good custom skincare line for you, and we'll help you find the right treatments, whatever your skin needs. Yeah, so Lauren and Sarah, they know that I get a cupping here. I get hydrofacials with Rosie. I get jet peel facials with Lauren. Everything here is so wonderfully curated, like Lauren said. And there's just any kind of product. Oh, I know there's now laser hair removal. I mean, there's always a new product being offered. So 
everyone out there who's listening, if they want to come to Skin Med Spa in Port Jeff Village, how can they find you and get in touch? We're really active on social media. So at Skin Med Spa PJ on Instagram, that's the best way you could probably find us because we really try to post daily updates of our clients and who's coming in and the treatments that we're doing. Um, and of course, on our website, there's always links down on how to book an appointment. But everything we do when you call us, that's always the best way. We answer the phone and we'll talk forever and help you find whatever is perfect for you. Okay, well, hopefully Lauren gets to meet you all. Say that you heard Skin Med Spa's ad on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and maybe I'll see you all here. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. My lived experience tells me, Andrew, that Blackness is the single most misunderstood experience in America. And we could write a million books about why that's the case. But that's the case. So therefore, how wonderful. Again, you know, I was at a event recently and someone said, oh, we've got to have these difficult conversations. I said, I think we got to reframe that. And that's actually why I wrote Bet on Black and subtitled it, The Good News About Being Black in America Today. Today, we get to have these dialogues and back and forth. And you don't have to agree with everything I say, Andrew. I don't have to agree with everything you think. But we can engage. We can engage in a way that is an enormous, wonderful, blessed opportunity. Not a woe is me, drag us to the table to have this God awful conversation about queerness, this awful conversation about anti-Semitism. That was the whole point of Black Shabbat is to not carry the, the, the sad heaviness of the isms, but flip the paradigm on its head. Let's reframe it. And let's say, how wonderful is it that we can say, that's what me and my Jewish girlfriends do all the time. You know, and, and it's not, you know, that tr the group chat was lit when uh, you people came out, trust and believe, you know, <laughs> like, and we go back and forth and we challenge each other and we, well, what about this line? And what about that? And, and then we say at the end, my God, how lucky are we? How blessed are we that we at, at right here in our own proximity, we get to break bread, have a glass of wine, share some laughs, maybe some tears. Maybe some contentious moments sometime where I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing or you're holding enough space, but I trust your intention for me and my people. And that's the beauty of this America today. Yes, yes. And then you've taught me and anyone who gets bet on black, this power of openness. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was for me is um, to be open to uncomfortability, but to listen. And yeah. that's what Black Shabbat was the lesson that you're teaching. Also, I have to know, how is she doing your friend from Black oh. Shabbat? Archie? Archie. Yeah. How's Archie? Archie's great. Archie's great. Archie uh, just moved into like a <laughs> sick, she's, I'm not going to say the price, but it's a, it's a sick uh, townhouse that she and her husband renovated in um, the West Village. And it's, it's fabulous. And so now we're going to, you know, no more New Jersey Shabbats. Now Shabbat will be downtown Manhattan. Even though I love Morris County, shout out to Summit. Oh no! I shout out to Sum Summit. No. Gave me some times, baby. So it was. I went great. to Kane University for undergrad. Now I'm oh, at Stony Brook. Oh, got you, got you. So was I gorgeous. know. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. But for them to laugh about how far it is, I'm like, it's like a 40 minute train ride. But well, Andrew, they were bitching about coming to 121st Street, and they mostly live on 68. So please, I can't. I can't. I, Forget I about. Will, I will not. I will but if not. you go to the Hamptons, the Hamptons are fine. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway. 
So for everyone out there, we are now heading over to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe, our Patreon, which I know Ebony likes, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit. I love a bag. We love a bag. Yes, yes. We love an extra bag. Yep. Yes. So we are going to play Equal Justice with Judge Ebony K. Williams because Ooh. she's about to be a TV personality judge. Um, okay. So this game is called Guilty or Not Guilty. Again, this is not your official judicial opinion, but this is, you know, nothing about with beyond a reasonable doubt. We don't have to do that, Uh, but it's not being held in the court of law. I just want you to reflect on the pop culture moments that some might consider the messiest within the past year. And I want you to think about, is this guilty or not guilty of being a messy moment? In okay. Judge Ebony K. Williams' opinion. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby. I really hope you follow us on social media because that's where you get to see all of the exciting video clips, teasers, and humorous moments. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. I hope you all are following the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe and become a member for only $5. You get all of our interviews and episodes ad-free. You also get to watch the video interviews. You get to see my lovely face and the guest's lovely face. And you get access to all the bonus episodes. So Dr. Jake Newsom talking about the history of the pink triangle. Zach Topping talking about being an army vet and what that meant when he wrote a war novel and a dystopian novel. You get to hear Gregory Maguire's breaking news about the Wicked movie musical, Jesse Green talking about Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein and what did Stephen Sondheim actually think about Rogers and Hammerstein. So head to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Please, please provide me an iced coffee. I would love it because I need to stay up to do all these edits. So yeah, see you all in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. And here is Mary DePippi from True Crime and Academia. Hi, everyone. I am Mary DePippi. As Andrew said, I am the host of True Crime and Academia. True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730. Now to find all things True Crime and Academia, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia or on Twitter at TC and Academia because, well, they hate it when you have too many characters. Like I said, True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730s. But if you are a subscriber, you get a bonus episode. That's right. A whole episode just to yourselves that no one else gets to hear. Like... I do a deep dive on the case of JonBenet Ramsey. I deep dive Casey Anthony. We talk about the history of the lobotomy. And most recently, we talked about the Night Stalker himself, Richard Ramirez. So if you want to access all of that extra wonderful content, go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And like Andrew said, if you could just please buy us a nice coffee, that would that would be great. That would be really, really great. It would be great. We appreciate it. We also interact with all of you on Patreon. So ask us your insightful questions. We will answer them for you. 
And we want to thank our Spring 23 interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Rosie, and Sheila. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see you all back again in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Happy winter, everyone. <laughs>